Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, February the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a very special guest joins to give us his first impression of Brian Flores and the new staff he has assembled in Miami. Omar Kelly of the Sun Sentinel joins. He'll tell us what he thinks the team will do at the quarterback position, how the Flores introduction compared to those before him, and where does Omar come in on the idea of tanking all of that and much, much more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We've got about 300 reviews at a five-star rating on the podcast, so please continue to do that, and we appreciate it so, so much. Give me a follow on Twitter, at WingfulNFL. Follow the show, at LockedOnFins, and check out the number one blog in the entire LockedOn network, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have a series coming out for you guys, taking a glimpse at every single position on the roster. That comes out very, very soon. And last but not least, least the other locked on sports family of podcasts like the locked on nfl draft podcast and the draft dudes podcast for all the coverage of april's draft coming up in 2019 i've got a great interview for you guys on today's podcast let's go ahead and jump right in that's another miami dolphins And just real quick before we get into the interview, one of the best things about doing this podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, is all the connections I get to people that are plugged into the inner workings of both the Dolphins and the NFL in general. Jeff Darlington, Joe Shad, Henry Hodgson, so many folks that have made this podcast what it is, but also just kind of shooting the shit with folks that I now consider my peers. So it's been a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful time on the podcast, and I couldn't be more grateful to bring you guys these shows every single day. And with that, let's go ahead and turn things over to my interview with Omar Kelly. And joining the podcast now is the columnist for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, beat writer for the Miami Dolphins. You guys can find him on Twitter at Omar Kelly. He is, of course, Omar Kelly. Omar, thanks for joining me, man. No problem, bro. No problem. So you're down there in South Florida right now. You were there for the introduction press conference for Brian Flores, the 10th head coach in Dolphins history, 13th if you count interim head coaches. And you had a tweet, Omar, talking about how Brian Flores met your expectations that others had set for you, but you also noted some level of concern. So with that, I ask you, what was your impression of Flores and kind of this whole team's direction under he and new GM Chris Greer? Calm. Um, studious, very low key. Uh, I don't think he's as polished as probably he's going to be. Uh, we, we, you know, Adam Gase wasn't as polished as, as he is now. Uh, you know, when you, when you talk to the media on a regular basis, you, you get some, a gloss on you. And I think Flores probably needs that kind of gloss. Um, a little bit too many arms and ahs and, you know, but it, it, it shows that he was talking from his heart. Um, I liked a lot of things he said. Primarily, I, I love the fact where he said, I was not in a rush to do this. Um, and I, I truly do believe that because um, when you're part of the Patriots organization and you've been there for 15 years, um, you have opportunities to go elsewhere and probably opportunities to go elsewhere for more pay. 
and what people who buy into the Patriots brand, uh, they buy into it and, 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 you know, they get paid 70 cents on the dollar. Uh, and they, they don't even get defensive coordinator titles. They just get the responsibility. Um, you pay your dues there. And, and ultimately when you do pay your dues, you know, you, 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 good things happen for you. Um, they bought into the culture. Uh, so I, I like that. Um, everything that I was told he would be, he was, um, he didn't try to be somebody he, who he wasn't, which is very impressive to me because generally you, you know, I, I think, you know, I like people to be who they are. If, you know, Adam Gates was an arrogant dick, well, I, I wanted him to be an arrogant dick. Sure. And eventually he was. Um, <laughs> um, so that was encouraging. Um, what, 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 what bothers me and it really doesn't sit well with me about this higher and this this new era, because I'm not calling it new Miami. I'm not calling it forget all that cliche <laughs> stuff. This is just another of the new eras. And I've been there for I can't even count how many press conferences like that I've been there for. Well, yeah. You... Um, go ahead. You say? No, go ahead. Um, so I, I, I really I would struggle to, you know, from from Cam Cameron on. I've been here for all of them. New JGM changes, new new coach changes, the big name free agents, the extensions for the Tannehill. I mean, if it's extensions for 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 Pouncey, you know, I've been there for all those press conferences, so it's all the same thing. Um, but what really stuck out to me was the fact that oh, we're selling you the Patriots brand, we're selling you the Patriots, you know, prestige, we're selling you, we're selling you Patriots South. And that makes me uncomfortable from this standpoint. Nobody has had success replicating what the Patriots do. Nobody has the secret sauce. You know, the secret sauce is not something that you can take an an assistant from and, you know, and bring him to a new organization. And then automatically the secret sauce is there. What the Patriots have is the greatest coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time. And those are the two things that make it magic, make it work. Because I can tell you, they don't really have that great of a defense. Um, They've got a lot of guys buying into a team concept and it works, but it certainly helps when you've always got a lead. Um, You know, they don't have a lot of great players on offense, but what they have is a lot of interchangeable parts and the greatest quarterback of all time. You look at what Kansas City, that Kansas City AFC championship game and in the fourth quarter and in overtime, when Brady needed to put the ball on the numbers, where did Brady put the ball on? On the numbers. That doesn't happen with every quarterback. So expecting to, you know, say, oh, we're going to bring the culture. And, you know, we've seen that we're both part of, you know, him and Greer, we're, we're both part of New England. Um, so we saw how it was made. I'm sorry, but how many coaches have been part of New England from Romeo Cornell to Charlie Wise to, you know, Bill O'Brien to Josh McDaniels to, you know, the guy with the with the Lions? And people will say, oh, the greatest success that Bill Belichick ever had was Nick Saban. And I'll, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'll give you credit for that because Nick Saban was part of his coaching staff in Cleveland, not in New England. So he don't know the New England secret sauce. What 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 you're what you're doing and what you're saying is, oh, this Patriots magic it can be replicated. Oh, we nobody nobody in the NFL nobody uses the Patriots blueprint. 
because it, they can't. It's not a blueprint that can be replicated. Yeah, it's entirely unique because Belichick every single week reinvents himself like nobody else in the league. And I suppose the mm-hmm. one redeeming quality you have there for Brian Flores is that he was part of that defense or whatever you want to attribute to him as far as shutting down the Chiefs for one half and the Rams for a whole yeah. game. I suppose that was the good thing. But Omar, you mentioned the fact that you've been there for, and bless your heart, you've been there for all of these extensions, all of these press conferences and Dama and Sue coming in, whatever the hell it was, you were there for all of it. And I just had to ask you, because you're, you've covered some bad football for so long, how would you compare the initial impression you have of Flores compared to what it was for Adam Gase or Joe Philbin or even Tony Sperano before them? Rest in peace. You know, if we're going to do comparisons, I can only really truly compare to Tony Sperano. Sure. Um, just the leadership, just a presence about him. Um, it, you know, every coach was different and unique. Cam Cameron, you know, was very mm, uncomfortable in his own skin, um, insecure, uh, Tony Sperano, uh, strong, you know, not even arrogant, strong, just, just, just a strength to Tony, a leader to Tony. People wanted to run through a wall for Tony. Um, and, and I, I will say that Tony is probably the best coach that I covered with the Hurricanes. I never covered Wanstead. I never covered Saban. I, I started with Cam Cameron. Um, and <laughs> lucky you. That, and, and, yeah, lucky for me. Um, I, I've been to the depth, so it's all good. Um, I would say Brian Flores really compares a lot to Tony Soprano, just his background and his personality. There's a meekness to him um, that... I think is admirable, especially in the sport that they play. Now, Tony was meek, but Tony was a tough guy. You know, Tony was a mobster. Um, and, and then they truly played up that persona. I remember one year where everybody, I think it was like 2009, um, you basically made a mistake. You were getting cut. They were whacking you. Mm-hmm. You know, you made a mistake on special teams. Well, you were, you're being whacked. Um, next day, you're going to get a cut on Tuesday. Uh, and, and that was, um, you know, that was how they operated with the trifecta. You know, nobody operated like that since. And I don't even expect Brian Flores to operate like that. But, you know, that that's just really the only guy I could really compare him to in terms of personalities right now. Um, Joe Philbin, oh boy, he <laughs> reminds me a lot of Cam Cameron. Um <laughs> In terms of people, you know, I call Joe the librarian just because he had such a, you know, such a boring and scared personality. Um, you know, Adam, Adam was, Adam was confident, bordering on arrogance. And I like Adam. I still do like Adam. I think he's going to be a good coach eventually. Um, the mistake that he made was latching himself onto a quarterback nobody believed in yep. and being very adamant about it. Um, and, and, you know, his arrogance made him feel like he can fix this quarterback. Well, history says, uh, you can't. And this quarterback's got a long laundry list of people that he's got gotten fired. Um, but Brian, uh, I don't know him. I've heard him talk once. I haven't had any one-on-one time with him. Hopefully I'll get to it. Um, but based on the research, you know, the, the, the sad thing is, when you have a coach that you basically are waiting three weeks to hire, 
that gives me a lot of time and opportunity to do a lot of research and a lot of, you know, and, and, and talking to people in the league that I know and what they hear and what they know and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that, that was, that to me was the refreshing part. And so I know why talking to people in organization about why was this guy, the guy. And so I know why he was the guy. Um, you know, he was a guy because he's a leader. He was a guy because he, you know, he's, he doesn't have an ego. Chris Greer, now you're, you're dealing with, and, and people got to understand, and you probably don't because you don't deal with people of this nature on a regular basis. But when you're in the NFL, everybody is driven by ego, mm-hmm. including the executives, including the scouts. Everybody wants to beat their chest and say, they're the guy, they've got the credit, they got the juice, they, they, you know, they're the man, they're the, you know, the HNIC. Um, and what Steve Ross has done is he's put two individuals in charge of his organization after 10 years of owning the team and dealing with all of these power battles and power struggles, because that's ultimately what it comes down to Ireland to Sperano, Parcells to Ireland, um, Hickey to Tiki to Tannenbaum, Tannenbaum to you know, Philbin, Philbin to Donna Ponte, you know, all of these, you know, Gase and Tannenbaum, all of these things always end and come down to a power struggle. And what what's happened is Steve Ross has 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 said, hey, I'm going to do something different and I'm going to hand over my organization to two people who truthfully and honestly don't have egos. And don't need to, you know, pull it out and say, I got the biggest one in the room. (laughs) Um, And that to me is different. It's unique. It's admirable. But the question is, will it work? Yeah, and I think that's the question that every Dolphins fan really is asking at this point because for a long time now, it just hasn't worked. He is Omar Kelly of the Sun Sentinel, Dolphins beat writer. We're going to come back with him more on the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, including Omar's opinion on who he thinks will be the quarterback in 2019 for the Miami Dolphins. Okay, rolling back into the second segment here of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I've got Omar Kelly with me here on the February 6th edition of the LOD podcast. And Omar, before we get into the quarterback or the idea about tanking or whatever you want to call that, I want to ask you two more questions about the coaching staff and what it might mean to the current roster. Is there a player out there that, in your opinion, will get the most out of this? Which player will benefit the most from Brian Flores and the entire staff that he brings with him to South Florida? I would have to think it would be Xavier Howard if he's still around, if he's still part of the organization. Um, Xavier and Larry Tunsil are two of the best assets that this team has. Uh, now what makes everybody in Dolphins land uncomfortable and they should be uncomfortable is that he is your biggest asset. So if you're young and you're you're trying to rebrand your team and trying to start fresh, um, how comfortable are you giving a cornerback top five salary and how comfortable is he being part of an organization that's rebuilding? And, you know, to me, I've spoken to Xavier a number of times about this issue and Xavier just wants his money and deserves his money. Um, he's played and performed like he is a top five cornerback in the league. Um, I've always been and very adamant about this because I know how the NFL works. And this is not a game. This is not a sport. This is not entertainment. This is a business. And everybody inside the inside football, except for the fans, 
understands that, realizes that, operates as such, and players need to get that and grasp that and understand. So, and I always root for players to win because I see what this game does to them. You know, when they're when their contracts are not guaranteed, they get discarded. Nobody sheds a tear for them, even though they signed a contract that the team decided that they're not going to honor. So, I want Xavier to walk away from his four-year, three-year investment in this organization as as a second-round pick um, with $30 million guaranteed to secure his future and his family's financial future. Now, will the Dolphins offer him a favorable contract? I highly doubt it because I know how this organization has lowballed the players that they have developed. That's that's just history. We can we can look it up. It's history. Oh, you know, the only people who've really walked away, you know, with with handsome contracts after being developed were Ryan Tannehill, Mike Pouncey, and and um, and Ryan Tannehill, Mike Pouncey. There's another one. Oh, and Rashad Jones, who's got two mega contracts. Yeah. Um. So, you know, history's not on their side. So, uh his 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 leverage will never be higher. Um, so hopefully they pay him. Now the question is, if they don't pay him, will they move him? And and the only thing that I think is acceptable for moving a player of his caliber is a first-round pick. Yep. And not just any first-round pick, probably a top-20 pick, um, because you're not going to be able to get a talent in this draft like Xavier Howard. If Xavier Howard, with what he's accomplished, is in this draft, Xavier Howard would probably be top-five selection. So... I'm not saying that you're going to get a top five pick for him, but if a team is looking for a cornerback, uh, they they should be interested in offering up a first round pick to the Dolphins for Xavier, as opposed to going out and drafting one and 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 basically having a 30 percent chance that it would be a success. Now, if you can't get a first round pick for him, then you need to sit on him and then maybe franchise tag him for a year and and play this thing out as long as you can. Um, to make sure that that talent's on your team. But to finish, follow up on the question, I think, you know, Xavier Howard should do well. Mika Fitzpatrick should do well. Um, a little bit linebackers I'm not so sure on because I don't really know who fits what they're trying to do. Um, you know, I think Vince Taylor has a chance to do well because I think his skill sets fit into a 3-4 um, defensive end, a 5-technique defensive end. Um, but you know, if they're going to run a multiple offense, there are also a lot of pieces that do not fit. Um, like Kiko Alonso, sure. like, hell, you know, Raekwon McMillan is a two down linebacker, you know, how versatile you need guys that have versatility. Raekwon does not have any versatility. Um, you know, TJ McDonald, Rashad Jones, you know, one of them has to go. I have no idea who it is, but I know Rashad and nobody's touching him with that contract. <laughs> no. um, his contract is, is quite beautiful, um, for him which gives him a lot of leverage, but then Rashad doesn't necessarily fit into the team first kind of mentality and mindset that, that he wants to bring. So, you know, what's going to happen there. You can't cut him because Rashad's guaranteed like $10 million. So it'll be interesting to see how these, all these things play out. Yeah. That contract is certainly unmovable. And back to Xavier Howard here real quick. He has so much leverage Omar, because I can point to three games, the game in New York against the jets, the game at home against the Raiders and the game at home against the bills, where he had a combined five picks in those three games. You could argue that he really won those games for a lackluster offensive team in Miami. And then you point to the final, Ooh. was it three or four games of the year that he wasn't out there? I think the dolphins went one and three in those games. So all the leverage is on Xavier Howard's side. So a very interesting nugget from you there. And real quick before, 
before we go to the break and finish up with the quarterback and the tanking idea, I got to ask you, who would you say on this roster might have their future altered or changed now to being in jeopardy now that Brian Flores is here instead of Adam Gaze and company? Um, I would say probably Kenny Stills. I'm sure. I don't know. Kenny Stills fits what Brian Flores wants, and you certainly need a, a wide receiver to space the field. But and not like they have any talent at the receiver unit because they really don't. Um, Albert Wilson, Kenny Stills, and Jakeem Grant are probably the only people that you can count on. So um, I think he has a potential to be moving on. Um, Brian Flores, one of the things he talked about is he wants a tough team. That doesn't necessarily fit Mike Gesicki and who he is in his game. Um, maybe if you have somebody who's interested in Mike Gesicki and thinks that they can make something of him, um, you know, a volleyball player playing football, <laughs> then 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 you move him. Um, you know, but I think everybody, everybody is uh, everybody's on the trade table. Like I've, I've never covered the Dolphins organization where they didn't say everybody's on the trade table. Um, for the right price, everybody can be moved. Uh, so I don't think there's anybody who's untouchable except for maybe Larry Tunsil, because no matter what, who you have at quarterback, you're going to need somebody to protect his blind side. So Tunsil, while he's still a reasonably priced player, is probably the only guy that you're not going to be able to touch. And speaking of that quarterback, we're going to come back on the other side of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, joined by Omar Kelly, and ask him about who he thinks might be the quarterback in 2019 for the Miami Dolphins. We'll do that next at Wingful NFL, at Locked On Fins, and at Omar Kelly. Okay, Omar, jumping back into the third segment here, the final segment of the Wednesday show, February the 6th, on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we've seen so many ideas about tanking or or playing for the future. We'll get to that here in a second, Omar. But the idea of tanking really relies... Hey, first... First rule of tanking is you don't talk you, about sure, tanking. Sure, sure, but I gotta. I mean, I got a Fight Club yet here. I gotta talk about it because we we got you on the podcast, and I love that quote from you. So I gotta ask you about it. But first, the kind of the precursor to that is because with the quarterback, you can you can prevent it wins or losses either way. So are they going to? Are they really gonna go out here with Luke Falk or David Fails? Are they gonna sign a Teddy Bridgewater? What the hell are they gonna do at quarterback for twenty nineteen? <laughs> Uh, you have to give your team a chance to win games. Absolutely. If you're trying to, if you're trying to implement a new offense, you, you got to give them some kind of semblance of hope that hey, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to implement, um, it, it it does work. Uh, the most dangerous thing in my mind is to go through a Cam Cameron experience where you could absolutely lose your locker room because they lose faith and belief in you as a coach because they see that you're in over your head. So I really don't buy into this whole tanking thing. They might not be very good because they might not have a lot of talent, but uh, I don't think they're going to not try. Um, they're just going to go young. They're just going to go inexperienced. Um, and and that possibly means a rookie quarterback starting here. You know, e- even though a lot of people believe that they're not re- trying to be competitive this year, um, and, and I truly do believe that they're not trying to be competitive this year, um, because they, they see the bigger picture and they know that, hey, if they get a Tui or they get a From or they get a Herbert, um, maybe they've got a chance to secure their future for 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 a while. And it's not a short-sighted view. And, and that's something that 
Chris Greer basically made it clear we our problem is we've taken too many short-sighted views over the past couple of years. I wrote a story about that and how he basically said, you know, when they had success in 2008 and then they had success in 2016, the first year of a coach, they decided to pivot and 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 take a take a we need to win now approach instead of build let's build this thing the right way. Um and when you build a team in the microwave, it doesn't always taste as good as it should. And that's the problem that the Dolphins have had over the last couple of years. Um, and, and you got to take you, Steve Ross has to take some blame as well because he operates like a fan. Sure. And wants to play fantasy football and wants to open up his wallet and buy the biggest, baddest free agent that's out there. I can tell you right now for a fact that, you know, if they had not changed their 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 approach or 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 he hadn't said okay i've had enough of this let me let me let's try this another way you'd be looking at a team with probably uh with 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 two former Steelers on it you know and and then <laughs> trying to say hey we're trying to do it the Steeler way now but that's not what's going to happen um they're going to go young they're going to go cheap and they're going to build but who's to say that doesn't mean that they won't select the quarterback in the first or second round in this draft um, and use that quarterback to see what he's got to to develop him and, and invest in him. And then who's to say they won't select a quarterback in next year's draft and have them compete? The problem is, you know, this organization had continues to not believe in competition at quarterback. And I think that that's an approach that has to change. So I don't see anything wrong with selecting quarterback in the first round and this year and the first round next year and actually having two players compete to see who is going to carry this franchise. Yeah, and the fans of the podcast know that I am all in on Kyler Murray. And I think he would achieve two things if you drafted him, if he mm-hmm. fell to you at 13. One, he gives you that competitive balance at the position because obviously we know what he can do with the football, both his legs and his arm. But also, it kind of satisfies that need that Steven Ross has that you mentioned to be kind of that marquee name, the guy that can get you back in the good graces of you know an NBC for Sunday Night Football or just the general networks that the Dolphins are completely an afterthought on and just washed away entirely from the national scene. So that's my idea. That's my hope. We'll see what happens. Again, Omar, I appreciate you doing this so much. But lastly, before I let you go here, you got married over the weekend. So a big time congrats there, my friend. And as someone that's getting hitched myself in two months, have you gotten the advice for a groom-to-be? Breathe. <laughs> Encourage your fiancé to breathe. Um, <laughs> it is a scary process. It is a terrifying process, but I can tell you, you know, as much as we put into it, we're still enjoying it because our friends are sending us pictures and our friends are sending us video. You know, they're just things that you haven't seen and people are telling us how much of a great time that they've had. And it was, you know, Matt, it was really, you know, you you basically wedding of her dreams, um, not mine, but hers. (laughs) And, and you, you put so much into it. I can tell you this, make sure she eats, Early in the morning, make sure she eats during lunch because she's not going to eat dinner. Um, Also, make sure you get some cake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I laugh at that because I paid a ridiculous amount of money for cake that I didn't even taste. (laughs) Um, I I tasted it when we fed it to each other, but that's about it, you know. Um, And also get up and start taking pictures with people at dinner because every single person that you invited wants to take a picture with you. And it's hard to sit there and take a picture with 120 people. 
it is. It just is. And some people didn't like the picture that they took, so they're trying to do it again. I mean, we were taking pictures absolutely all night, and we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it, and thanking people who came, and you know. But everybody on that magical night, they want to take a picture with you, and that was just a little bit absolutely overwhelming. So, um, just make sure she's happy. <laughs> That's all I could say. And you'll probably need about three days after it to actually come down from it, because I could tell you. We're still exhausted. We're still tired. I'm not a napping person, but I've slept literally all day today. I've slept all day yesterday. I've, you know, it's it's like a hibernation thing just because of how much emotion is involved and how much work is involved. So um, that's that's about it. And don't expect to recoup what you spent on it. <laughs> Lesson learned. That money is long gone, my friend. Well, hey, thanks for coming out of the slumber to get on the podcast here. Well, well, what what about this? Uh, we we supposedly have beef. I don't know what this beef is about. Sure, sure. I can tell you about it on the air right here if you want to do that. Let's do it. Oh yeah, for sure. So I I'm pretty sure I took a shot at you for something you probably the Legadunane thing. Uh, I'm sure you get that all the time. <laughs> um, oh okay. And, the and Legadunane so, thing is very easy to explain. Please this do. I'd love to in hear. 2012, David Garrard was the starting quarterback back for the Miami Dolphins, and he absolutely smoked, obliterated Ryan Tannehill. And the, re- the, the player that he smoked and obliterated Ryan Tannehill with was Legadu Nene, who went from a camp body, mm-hmm. who worked his way up from a camp body during OTAs to a season-opening starter. Do you realize how difficult that is to do? Yeah, absolutely. Now, now... The way that he did it was he did it with David Garrard as his quarterback. They developed such a chemistry that he was absolutely dominant during training camp. Then when he suffered the injury and Ryan Tannehill became the starter, oh, he was in there, but Tannehill had no chemistry with Legadunane and eventually developed chemistry with with Brian Hartline. Now, Legadunane was, you know, I can tell you practice-wise, he was probably just as good as any other receiver that I've covered with the exception of probably Brandon Marshall and, and Mike Wallace, but it, you know, that only works when you have the quarterback who's feeding you and, and believes in you. Um, he didn't have that with Tannehill and it subsequently when, you know, his, his, his rise went away quite quickly um, with Tannehill who probably has only had chemistry with maybe Brian Hartline throughout his career. Yeah, the Brian Hartland experience, that was certainly a fun one. But just going back to the entire idea of the beef, I I mean, you know, not that I'm in a position that you're in. I I think you have something like 60,000 Twitter followers. You're you're a very public name, Omar. And I've come from that little squabble that we had actually got me like 2,000 Twitter followers. So thank you for that. And now that I have almost 8,000 followers, I mean, I get stuff all the time. So I can't even imagine how many negative comments and just disparaging bullshit that you have to deal with all day long. So for that, I apologize. And it's never going to happen again because now I can understand what it's like to be on the other side of that, at least a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't pay that stuff much attention because here's, here's people will say, Oh, you're a very controversial person or you're very polarizing, which I've learned. I've learned I am polarizing. I don't try to do it intentionally, but that's just who I am. Um, but the people that will show you love, like I get way more love. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been, I've never been, you know, said a negative word to on the street. 
but you'll hear all these fairy tales about how people stepped me and tried to check me and and oh yeah they bossed up on me and i acted like a punk i'm like nobody has ever <laughs> been mean to me ever on the street and when we go on the road you know people run into me and they're like, people hunt me down and you know, and all my other peers are there, but they're never excited or want to take a picture of them. So I get way more love than I get anything else. And, you know, all that other stuff, people, you know, people just want drama. So, yeah, that's that's the, that's the power of the Twitter universe. Right. I mean, that's that's the age we live in nowadays. So, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is, is what it is. But, you know, hey, I really... and people want to count how many times you're wrong. Yeah, so <laughs> Nane was one of my many losses in life. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, Nane, when I said that Cam Wake wasn't going to make the team if he didn't get better on special teams. Um, oh, yeah. His oh, yeah. Year. Absolutely. Um, which other one do they throw in my face? Um, now we're talking about something that happened in 2009. So nearly, or is it a decade ago? Yeah. Um, when else was I wrong? Um, I don't even know. Uh, Oh no. Offensive line. No, they don't really mess with me about offensive line. Uh, Oh, Koa Misi. Oh, Koa Misi was a great journey. Um, when I said Koa Misi was just 55 because he, there's nothing special about him. Um, and lo and behold, his wonderful but irrelevant career as a starter where there's absolutely nothing special about him. Um, Mike Kosicki is, you know, caught a lot of heat from Mike Kosicki earlier this year. Um, now everybody sees him for who he is, which is he's he's a nice athlete, but he's not a football player. Uh, these are, you know, people I don't hide my opinions. And, you know, people people get all upset and get their panties in a bunch just because, you know, they want me to tell them all these wonderful things about their seven and nine team. And I, unfortunately, I don't like people are upset now that, like I said, like, oh, the Patriot way is not able is not replicable. You can't replicate that. Yeah. Well, now everybody's all upset. Like, oh, you hate this hire. Oh, no, I didn't say I hate this hire. What I said is the Patriots way is not replicate. Is, it, you cannot replicate the Patriots way. Like, are you, do you have a carbon copy of Tom Brady? Like, like Patriots way is Tom Brady, like Bill Belichick. People act like, like Bill Belichick didn't go out and trade for a quarterback, you know, when, when he first got to new England, like that's what he did. There was no Patriot way. Like he played, played, traded for a quarterback. He traded for, for marquee players. Like the, the Patriots way like there is no Patriots way. There's Tom Brady and Tom Brady's way. And yeah, Bill Belichick has built a team that can do whatever you need it to do to win on a given Sunday, but it's taken him what 18 years to do that. They just started becoming a running team like three years ago. Now. Yeah. They were a running team in their past with Corey Dillon and blunt, but you know, they evolved into different things. They morph into different things. And yeah, I would love to see the Miami Dolphins, the new era Miami Dolphins, be able to morph into different things, go from a 4-3 to a 3-4 scheme. But I, that was the one question I really asked Chris Greer. Like, how realistic do you think that is to do? Like, it's nearly impossible to build a team to play one scheme. And you're going to try to build a team to play two schemes? Right. Like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, <laughs> do you think you could you, – you work magic? Like, th- this is – who, name another team. The, the Cincinnati Bengals are the only team I could think of that play two schemes. And they don't even do it well. 
Well, so, I mean, the, we'll I mean, see. the Bengals haven't. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you'd absolutely make a point there, and that's that's the beauty of Gotcha Twitter is you know if you can take a minute to explain yourself, you usually wind up on the side that seems more logical and and really just rational. So I appreciate that. I, I really appreciate you doing this with me, Omar, and kind of squashing that beef that you didn't even know about. So uh, good on you for that. <laughs> and uh, hey, man, let's do this again soon. All right, no problem. All right, take care, Omar. Good to talk to you, man. You All too. Right. Well, there you have it. And off he goes. He is Omar Kelly at Omar Kelly on Twitter. You guys know who he is. That was a fun podcast, man. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We ran way too long. Let's go ahead and wrap this podcast up and just not do any of the closing procedures. You know, the follow me on Twitter, all that stuff. I'll leave you with this. Have a great day, Fence fans. Be back with you tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.